Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Today is Wednesday, March 15th, 2017. I'm Mike Pearson, and this is the inaugural podcast for Ag News Daily. I'm joined today by my co-host, Delaney Howe. Delaney, how are you doing? I'm great, Mike. How are you? Fantastic. Delaney, I'm excited. We've got a new project going here. Tell us a little bit about what are we going to talk about? Sure. Well, we wanted to bring you, the listeners, a daily ag news podcast. And we decided to go the podcast route so you could listen to it anywhere, anytime, and have access to it wherever you're going or whatever you're doing. So we're going to bring you agricultural news updates, market updates, and we're going to bring you some great interviews from people in the industry. That's right. We're going to try to reach out to some of the folks we have had the fantastic privilege of getting to know over the past several years so that uh, as issues come up, be it in the paper, be it on the internet, be it in Capitol Hill, we can address them and help all of us understand what it means for agriculture, what it means for our bottom line. And we're going to do that, hopefully, with a little dash of humor, hopefully. a little bit of fun, and uh, and a whole lot of uh, information, I guess. I'll be redundant there. Delaney, why should we be listening to you? Who are you? Sure. Well, I'm from a small town in southeast Iowa, Columbus Junction, and I was raised on a grain and cattle farm. We have right around a thousand head of feeder cattle right now. And my older brother and my dad are still farming. So I've grown up in agriculture. I know it. It's something I live and breathe every day. And I went to Northwest Missouri State and got a Bachelor's of Science in Agricultural Sciences with a minor in Broadcasting and also International Studies. And I'm also doing my master's online through Texas Tech University for Agricultural Communications. So I've worked in the media field and the agricultural field in various capacities pretty much all my life. So I'm excited to help bring agriculture to you guys on a daily basis and be a voice for agriculture. But that's enough about me. Why should people listen to you, Mike? You know, uh, I'm a Scorpio. Suppose we had to start with that. <laughs> no, so I grew up on a farm in southern Iowa. We used to pasture farrow hogs, and then when we got tired losing money in the hog business, we moved into cattle and tried losing our hand in money in the cattle business. Basically, uh, as I was growing up, my father hosted Market to Market, which is a show on public television, and he passed away suddenly in 2012, and the Market to Market team asked if I would consider trying out for the role and I did, and I was blessed enough to be able to carry that legacy on. So in 2012, my wife and I bought an old feed yard outside Grinnell, Iowa, which is where we live today, and I have hosted Market to Market. I get to travel quite a bit throughout the wintertime and speak about uh, both the ag markets and more of the larger scale issues that are happening in agriculture, and I find it fascinating. It is an incredible topic. No matter what side of the, of the business you are on, whether it's production or if you're an end user or if you're a financier, whatever it is, ag is incredible. And one of the things we are most excited about in putting this podcast together is helping all of you recognize how big our industry is. And to do that, we're going to turn to a series of experts every single day to address, first and foremost, the market. Want to spend just a couple of minutes on market outlook and updates, and then we want to talk a little bit more with interviews. But this week, it's going to be a little different. It is. We want to do just an introductory, here's who we know, so you can know them, so we can go from there. Delaney, who are we talking to today? Right. So today we have Elaine Cub. She is a current market analyst at DTN, and she's also written a book, a great read, 
called Mastering the Grain Markets, and she also writes for columns in various other capacities. But Elaine is a great person to talk to about marketing um, because she didn't necessarily start in that field. That's right. She approached ag, grew up on a farm, but came about her profession in a roundabout fashion. And Delaney, we're probably best off just letting Elaine explain it. Why don't you cue up Elaine Cup? All right. So Elaine Cub, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. A lot of you listening probably know Elaine. She is featured on DTN Weekly in the Cubs Den column. She's been on Market to Market. She's spoken at countless events and has written a fantastic book called Mastering the Grain Markets. And Elaine, what is on your mind this week here, the uh, whatever it is, second or third week in March? Well, I, I need to correct the record, Mike, that actually my column runs on DTN every other week, but that is quite topical because what I'm writing about for this week's column is the is um, like comparing farm income to the concept of the average American salary worker, right, who just gets just gets a paycheck deposited into their bank account every two weeks, um, and how that is quite stable. But, you know, farmers work in a different world. They don't work in a stable world. They work in a world where their income is going up or down by 2% every day or 5% every day if, if it's a really volatile day. Yeah. So what are your thoughts on that? I mean, most of the farmers I know, Elaine, and myself included, even though I'm a small-time farmer, you know, my wife has to work in town so we can have health insurance. Yes. I mean, you there know, are some benefits right. to being a, having a job with benefits. Absolutely, there there is. And, uh, you know, this was really interesting. I will encourage all of you to uh, go. The Economic Research Service has done a really big report on this and that I'm that I'm drawing on uh, a lot in my column. But um, they just released it uh, last month. So it's called Farm Household Income Volatility and Analysis Using Panel Data from a National Survey. So they took the 2015 farm survey. And I was fascinated to learn that 55% of farmers are covered, like their health insurance is covered by a private employer, so somebody else in the family. So it's very much like your situation there, Mike, where your wife is, is has some off-farm income, which helps to stabilize you know, the overall household income from one year to the next. But very importantly, it's also bringing in that, that health insurance. Yeah, which is not, I'm not an expert in health insurance, but I just thought I would repeat that statistic for you. It's an expensive mess. I think that's kind of the general consensus on health insurance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. The other thing yeah. I've been interested in, um, I've been doing some public speaking and um, making that connection. I think that farmers lose that their that their farm is a business and that they're in an entrepreneurial mindset. But I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Do you think a lot of farmers view their farms as businesses? Yeah, I mean, it sort of depends on the time of the year. I think this time of year when taxes were on everybody's minds, Yes, you all of a sudden remember that you need to be uh, accounting for all of the dollars that are coming in and out. And, but I suspect it is really easy, like particularly in the summer, for crop farmers to get, you know, wrapped up more in the mechanical tasks or more in the agronomic tasks and, and forget about the marketing and forget about the, the income and costs. Yeah. You know, and I had a conversation with a, a group of bankers over in Illinois, and we were talking about how farming is is kind of a unique occupation in the sense that we couldn't think, and this was a small group just sitting around a table, we couldn't think of any other occupation 
who goes into their accountant or banker's office with a file of papers and says, hey, tell me what I made this year. <laughs> yes. You know, that's just, that's a unique attribute, I think, to agriculture. Um, but, you know, Elaine, so we've talked quite a little bit about some of the, the details, and you mentioned you were fascinated by that report by the ERS, and I'm guessing you are probably the only person in the country to use the word <laughs> fascinated about a report from the federal government. What's no. your background? Why is that fascinating to Elaine Cobb? What did you study in college? That's okay. Oh, I feel bad for these authors. I've never met them. I'm going to give them a shout out because I thought this was a really well done report. It's Nigel Key, Daniel Prager, and Christopher Burns. So they must have found it fascinating. I hope they found it fascinating. Anyway, um, I... I started with an engineering degree, so I do really, really like data and statistics. It's an industrial engineering degree, so it was very heavy in the operations research and, and statistics, that kind of stuff. But then I did also go on to get my MBA, so I'm also fascinated by things about businesses, you know, about the idea of trying to make a profit. So, so that's why I get sucked into these topics. So how did you start being a market analyst and getting into that world? Oh, well... Um, I uh, was in business school and, oh, I was working for a hedge fund outfit and I was having lunch one day with a coworker and I had just gotten back to San Diego where I went to business school. I had been at the farm for Christmas or whatever and then they asked, you know, how was things on the farm? And I was telling them about things on the farm because I grew up on a farm. Um, and I was telling them all about the farm and they said, you know, Elaine, why don't you trade commodities? And it was literally like a light bulb. It was the clearest moment in my life where I, I really knew what I wanted to do. Like there was just this wonderful inspiration because that idea of commodities, agricultural commodities, I loved agriculture, love agriculture. And I saw a path that I could take my love of math and agriculture and all put it together and making money and, and all, all rolled into one. So, so I sought out a job in commodities. Well, no, first of all, this is how it happened. I was doing my graduate research project about the relationships between the ethanol market and the corn market. I don't know, blah, blah, blah. But I needed, I needed a bunch of data and the CBOT has the data, but it will sell you the data. Even to a student. I thought that was pretty, I thought they should have yeah, given it to me as a student, yeah. you know? So so the next thing I did is I called up DTN and I said, hey, guys, can you uh, maybe share some data with a student? And Darren Newsom, who I hope you guys get on your podcast someday, he was like, uh, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll send you a spreadsheet. And um, hey, do you want a job? So it just that's that's really just how it worked out. It was just serendipity, I guess. Um, I, and uh, yeah. And so I got into it through through doing market analysis for DTN. So do you think that marketing is something like sales you either have it or you don't or is something or is marketing a trade that anyone can learn i think the concept of marketing a grain crop of like producing a crop and, and marketing a product that you have produced doing that responsibly doing that with some discipline everybody can learn that the question that you didn't ask is about um, trading, right? The idea of trying to find opportunities in an underpriced market or overpriced market and arbitrage, having that kind of a mindset, hunting that kind of stuff out. I bet that is probably more of a personality scenario that, you know, is, is something that you probably have in your personality or you don't. Um, so I think marketing can absolutely be taught. 
Well, and Elaine Cub, you listen to the Odd Lots podcast, right? Absolutely. Did you listen to the one, I think it was two weeks ago, about the real-life trading places? No. Here's why. I have a huge road trip coming up, and so I've been hoarding podcasts. No, I haven't listened. Tell me gotcha. about it. Well, so basically, they after the movie Trading Places came out, uh, Rich Dennis, the commodity trader from Chicago, and, oh gosh, another guy whose name I forgot, another large-scale commodity trader, said... Is this real? Can we do this? Yeah. And so Rich Dennis went out and recruited 20, I believe it was 25, non-traders, non-farmers, non-market analysts, just regular Joes with an interest in commodities, mm -hmm. um, an accountant, a school teacher, uh, maybe a juggler. I mean, there were some weird <laughs> groups in there. Brought them in, taught them uh, basically a trend following system, and turned them loose. And uh, of the 25 that started, I think like... 21 or so stayed in trading for their entire lives and made awesome. millions and uh yeah just kind of kind of proved the the trading places that at least that kind of rules-based trading yeah uh, can yeah, be I was gonna say, i'm not surprised it was successful i am surprised that that many continued to do it because sure you could train somebody to do it but would they enjoy it i mean right. apparently apparently that many did that's cool well and i think the checks cleared and i think that kept a lot of people pretty <laughs> yeah. enthusiastic yeah. So now, Elaine, you're not just an analyst, market expert, economist, and uh, as you say on your Twitter profile, insufferable know-it-all about the grain market. Yes. You're also a cattle producer, correct? That's correct. So it's springtime, and I, <laughs> you calve in the fall, is that right? Yeah, we do all fall calving, and uh, it works. It works out good because of, you know the, we don't have a, a huge, huge number of cattle, and so we've got enough barn space and whatnot to to keep them through the winter. It's they're doing well. Yes. So, given your marketing background, are you always able to top the market at the sale with your calves? <laughs> no, no, not at all. And you know that's that's a really interesting um, scenario, right? That that cattle are much less of a commodity. When we think of a, of a standard commodity as something like everything, every bushel of number two yellow corn always is exactly the same or interchangeable with every other bushel of number two yellow corn. But I think cattle are much more of a value-added product, right? Like, the, I think there's so much more marketing that can be done based on your genetics or whatever value add you can bring to it or your negotiation ability for certainly sure if you have a large enough scale that you can be you know selling to the feedlots directly perhaps who knows so uh no i am not at a scale or at a level of expertise in the cattle markets that i am going to claim that i <laughs> sell these cattle these calves here anywhere near the high you know but, it's, um, it's interesting though thinking about cattle as a value add i think that yeah. speaks to where your mindset is my mindset with my herd is just to limit the value deductions <laughs> I, I just want them to subtract less at the sale barn when they're bidding on my holstein That's angus cross not calves. true mike i've heard you you have all kinds of like bright like really ambitious ideas about flaxseed yeah. was one of them and beet pulp was another oh yeah i've got all kinds of ideas they're just yeah, they haven't yet worked. Although I do have ducks being incubated as we speak. Do so you? I'm about oh. to get into the duck egg business. Golly, that's exciting. I know. Uh, yeah. Well, we'll see you, how many my dog about, eat. Are you worried about the flu? The avian flu? You know, I wasn't until you mentioned it. Now I kind of oh. am. Mm. Well, I don't think it's in Iowa. No, just Tennessee and Wisconsin, I think. Yeah. And Wisconsin is a is a low path version. So. 
Anyway, either way, I will say this. I want to say one more thing about the livestock. So that, you know, it also sort of, in my opinion, goes a long ways toward explaining some of the past few years of how the, the livestock futures have not always, you know, lined up with the cash markets real nicely. I think that's largely wise because it's it's so hard in that market. And the cash market has so many different various qualities coming you know, to the market to try and distill that down into one commodity price is just much harder to do in livestock than it is for grains. So do you see all livestock as being value added or just cattle specifically? Uh, all of them, ducks especially. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be selling some $12 dozen eggs is my plan. Is that really what they go for? Well, no, but I have heard between 4 and $5 for a dozen oh, I believe of that. eggs. I believe that. Let's give our eggs away for free. <laughs> Well, we're going to get better with marketing. I know. Turn that business around, and then Delaney yeah. will be able to retire. <laughs> Delaney, so do you, you have chickens? I don't. My my mom does at home. But, are they, like, uh, free-range, though? They are, yep. And I don't think yep, she that's... actually knows how many she has. She says they're her chickens, but I think Dad and my older brother that's on the farm, I think they mostly take care of them. But still, I mean, that's a value add. That's absolutely. Yep. But again, she doesn't sell them. She just gives them away to people for free. So It's a hobby. It's a hobby. Yeah. yeah. Well, Those are the best hobbies. Yeah. A hobby oh, where she's... somebody else does the work. <laughs> she's cultivating a lot of goodwill among her neighbors. Right. And I've had some of your mom's eggs, and they are delicious. They are. Well, Elaine Cub, our goal as this goes forward is to have you on quite a bit and pick your brain with what's happening in the markets and what's going on in the world. Would you be open to doing that? You betcha. This is fun. I'm really excited about this, and I think we just want to thank you so much for taking the time to be with us. It is my pleasure. And, yeah, honestly, any day, give me a little bit of warning so that I can make sure I'm, you know, present, fully present and, and, and aware of what's going on in the markets. But, yeah. I'm happy to talk about my column or anything. This is cool. I think you guys have absolutely the talent set to really make it work. I love podcasts. I listen to them all the time when I'm out feeding cattle or doing whatever I'm doing. Yes. Awesome. Well, Elaine, we will let you get back to chores. And just thanks again. And we'll be calling you probably here in a week or so to talk to you again. Good luck with your podcast. Let me know if I can help in any way. I will. Okay. Have fun. <laughs> thanks, Elaine. Bye. Bye. Thanks again, Elaine, for joining us. And for those of you listening, we are going to have Elaine on hopefully weekly, maybe bi-weekly, but she is going to be one of our regular market analysts. And she'll be bringing her wit and her wisdom right here to Ag News Daily. So a huge thank you to Elaine. But Delaney, are we done for the day? We're not done. Who's coming up next? Coming up next, we have Naomi Bloom. Naomi Bloom is a longtime analyst on Market to Market. She's a broker with Stuart Peterson up in Wisconsin, and she is a native Wisconsinian. So we are excited to get her insights, and uh, we're excited to introduce all of you to Naomi. Well, we are here today with Naomi Bloom. Naomi has been a longtime analyst on Market to Market. She is a broker with Stuart Peterson up in Wisconsin, and she is a native Wisconsinian. Isn't that correct, Naomi? Yes, yes. Grew up in a small town called Cambridge, just outside of Madison. And uh, growing up, it was an agricultural community primarily. And actually, something that I don't think you guys know about me is that um, I would spend some of my summertime working in tobacco fields. And chewing tobacco was actually um, kind of a, a big crop 
for a um, cash crop in our area. So from the age of 14 to 21, I would spend my summers working in tobacco fields. Um, and then as I got into high school, I had a different part-time job. And then in college, I was waitressing also. But uh, there was one family I always came back to, and that's where I spent my summers. Wow. So, um, yeah. Did, yeah. What's the process like of working on a tobacco farm? I mean, is it like um, detasseling? Um, great question. So there's actually a pretty big process to it. Um, in the springtime, the family would um, start a bed of plants. And so they had, um, I'm trying to think of it in terms of a football field, maybe like 20 yards um, of a, a plant bed. And it would be like two by fours kind of outlining the bed of this plant. So 20 yards long. And uh, maybe each bed was, oh, I'm going to guess six or seven feet wide. And then they would have like four of these. So they would um, plant the seeds in spring and then put like a cheesecloth over the top of the each bed to make almost like a, um, like a greenhouse type of a thing. And then when the plants were about six or seven inches tall, right when school got out, um, you go and you sit at the side of the beds and you like pull the plants out by hand. And then you um, stack them into a bucket and then in the afternoon, we would go out into the field and transplant them, you know, by hand, like in a four-row, everybody cram in next to each other planter, and then do that for a month. And then once everything was planted, then we would take the next month of July and hoe it by hand. And so what got me thinking about that was that um, speech I was doing today and learning about agronomy and weed science and things like that, that I thought, oh, I remember hoeing by hand. <laughs> and then the month of... <laughs> and then... Uh, the men would come in and then um, top the, the top of the plant when it was about to flower. So that was like late July. And then in August um, is when they would harvest it. And so then the men would come out with these huge knife things and, you know, whack this plant over. And then um, us gals would spear it. So then we would take like five plants that were now on the ground, falling over, and um, take a tobacco lat and spirit onto this lat and then men would go hang it up in in tobacco sheds to dry so that was a summer job hard work but the family I worked for was awesome and I learned so many life lessons there and just like learned how to laugh at myself learn how to take a joke learned about farming learned about agriculture um, learned about women in agriculture and got an amazing tan because that was okay back then to get tan. <laughs> And so I have the best hand, like, so that was, like, key. And they fed me an awesome lunch. So super hard work, but when you're working with the right family and, and working with people who love agriculture, it makes the hard work um, not so hard. That, that is just fascinating to me, Naomi, that, you know, Wisconsin, I think of cheese. I think of milk. I do think of corn and soybeans. I, I have honestly never considered that tobacco-growing country. Um, yeah, and it. Totally. There's like only two counties that ever did it and still do it. And actually, at my parents' farm, we still have two tobacco sheds. And my dad um, lets um, local families use it. He, I don't think he charges very much at all for rent, if anything, because he just enjoys seeing the plants hung. And it reminds him of his childhood because he grew up, you know, 70 years ago wow. with tobacco. That was just like the thing. Yeah. Did you ever partake? 
That is a great question. I have tried smoking, Mike, but the last time I had a cigarette, a social smoke was, oh, 2012, I think. Okay. And, um, but you never yeah, got into my... chewing tobacco. That that didn't rub oh, off on you. Oh, man, disgusting. You weren't sticking what? whole leaves into your lips or anything. <laughs> no. Okay. I just thought, you know, if you need to pick me up out there in the middle of uh, <laughs> a summer day, you just yank a leaf off and gnaw on it for a while. <laughs> no, I don't think... I don't think that's how it works. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> so you, uh, you did that. You worked hard. You learned how to work. You've grown up with your family. You learned how to work. And then you went off to school. And at some point, I assume you said, I want to be in the commodities business. How did that decision come about? What makes a person go, yep, yep, I want to work in the markets day in and day out? Oh, it's a great question. And that was absolutely not my interest going into school, I remember watching Market to Market growing up, and my dad would, you know, say, here, keep an eye and tell me what, you know, these analysts are saying, if he had to run outside, or we would sit and watch it, but I didn't really understand what they were talking about, and so when I got to college, I wanted to do agricultural law. I thought that was, like, the way I wanted to go, thought I'd go to Drake and study there, and so I'm at Platteville. Um, and I majored in political science, and my minor was ag business. And so I was home from break. So this is um, sometime between 1995 and 96. And the price of corn had gone from $2 to $5. And so my family background, besides my tobacco sideshow, was um, my dad and grandpa had a dry dog food business in our backyard. So we would um, make this product and... Um, cook it and bag it and then sell it like in a 120 mile radius in Madison. But it was 95, 96 when corn went from $2 to $5. And my dad as an end user um, was not ready for that rally at all. And it took our family by surprise. And my parents had a pretty big fight at the dinner table about, well, gee, Kent, why didn't you know corn was going to go from $2 to $5? And why didn't you book all your prices in and your needs in sooner? And my dad's like, well, how was I supposed to know it was going to go so high? And that conversation, I took it back to school and asked my classmates, are your parents fighting? Like, my parents are fighting? And they're like, oh, yeah, but my dad was so dumb because he sold at $2 and now corn is at $5. So from that family dynamic and that whole classroom activity, I guess you could say, is where I got more curious about it and started to take more commodity classes. And then um, once I graduated, Conveniently enough, there was a, a commodity marketing firm in Platteville, and I just got a job there pretty much after graduation and really fell in love with it after that. Wow. So you've been in this business for a little while, and we've got some police going by outside, it sounds like. Um, in, in your exciting. time, one of the things that, I, and you know, I've really only been active in the world of, of agriculture at this level for five years now, but I'm always impressed at the number of women in what I guess I still consider to be a male-dominated field. And you're a woman who's been in agriculture for a while. What have you seen change in attitudes or anything like that just over just over your experience? Mm, that's a good question. So um, I've been at commodity marketing for 15 years total. And when I started there, um, in general, were not a lot of women in agriculture. Like um, the joke was that... Um, if you go to college at Platteville, there were two guys for every girl. So it's a great place to go to school. And especially if you're a woman in agriculture, 
then there's even like more guys and less girls, so you're gonna find a husband. Like yeah. that was the joke. You got the pick of the yeah. litter. Well, the thing was, by the time I got interested in getting married, all like the good ag people were taken already. <laughs> so I had to go to the engineering building. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but anyway, to answer your question, um, it has changed, and I would say definitely more in the past five to eight years. Um, it is commonplace to see women in agriculture, like um, just from the agronomy standpoint or from the uh, sales standpoint. And even in my industry, I think the awareness is finally getting there that this is something that women can do. And a lot of times women, especially women who are at home and on the farm and helping with the marketing, oftentimes do it a little bit better than the men because they don't get quite as emotionally tied and attached to the crop. And they can just keep it as a business decision. So, yes, is the answer more women in agriculture, and they're doing a great job. As far as the changes you've seen in marketing, when you were interested in it in 95, 96, 97, what was the marketing like then? Were there a lot of people in firms doing marketing and trading? Um, there was not, I don't think, as many um, people doing marketing like there is now. Um, but also with the advent of social media, um, the world has gotten smaller. But I remember when I first started, we were still calling our orders down to the floor and um, writing our orders up by hand. And, you know, if the corn market moved five cents in a day, that was a huge deal. And back then, if China bought soybeans, that would move the market 20 cents. And that was unheard of. So the differences have just been astounding. And especially with the introduction of electronic markets then it becomes a global marketplace and there's so many more players now and um, I can't even imagine with what I've seen in the past 15 years what could even come in the next 15 years it's just a dynamic dynamic marketplace yeah big changes kind of always happening in ag and it's interesting how those changes manifest you know both in the economic world in the world of marketing but also you know we see it happening you know in Washington DC Delaney I mean do you have any any questions as we look out here policy-wise? Right. I mean, what do you what do you think the market is going to do here over the next couple of months? I mean, it's made huge moves since Trump has been in office. Yeah, the, the, say. yeah, the the whole policy uh, uncertainty with the new administration is something to monitor daily. I um, have alerts on Twitter regarding the president, just to keep an eye on, on talk that's out there. Um, the black swans of this year are going to come, I think, from the administration and policy. Definitely something to be watching is NASA. Um, also keeping an eye on what's happening with China and trade talk. And the biggest takeaway is that how it would affect our export market. Because, you know, over 2 billion bushels of corn are exported. Primarily a big, big buyer is, is Mexico. And of soybeans, we're also exporting half of what we grow, and a big chunk of that, of course, goes to China. So trade is a huge deal, and those are black swans to be watching, and um, also keeping tabs on the value of the dollar, which continues to rally. But so far, our exports haven't been affected too much, but it's something to really, really be watching every day and have that as plan B for marketing, because if one of those black swans hits, like last year when Brexit hit, we lost 50 cents in a week because the funds took their ball and went home and they quit 
marketing and they were, I shouldn't say marketing, but they sold the long positions that they had. And that was just decimating to our prices. So always be ready for a black swan. But I think this year, if it happens, it's Trump and trade. Gotcha. And you know, it's interesting. A lot of times we think about those black swans being risks to the downside, but bizarrely, was it two weeks ago when we got the the much trumped about uh, rumor about the RFS. And, you know, that was risk to the upside with uh, both corn and beans moving so much higher. Um, How how do you create a plan B when you don't know which direction the risk is going to come from? Oh, good question. Um, So we call that scenario planning at Stuart Peterson, and that's just being ready for anything that can come your way. And just um, like a good football coach, just trying to think about what, the other team might be doing to you or as if you're in the military be anticipating what the enemy might do so in these marketplaces um, you almost need to have three plans going all at the same time and be thinking about your overall weighted average price for everything so right now like for example if we have a normal year and that there's not any tremendous drama from here on out i really think that we'll see the marketplace uh, the futures prices uh, go back and retest last summer's highs. I really think that's a possibility for, again, the futures prices. Baseless is a different animal. Um, but if we have a weather issue this summer, then the market prices could just accelerate dramatically higher. So if you've sold corn or beans right now, you want to be thinking of a way to reown it and understand not only about reowning it, but have a realistic expectation of what your position is doing and how it can yield for a profit. And of course, on the other flip side, uh, be thinking about unpriced bushels and how you can protect them too. So some people feel like, well, I'm playing the market both ways is, is what they say. And I'm like, no, you're not. You're, you're managing your risk because you don't know what the market's going to do. And you have to be thinking multidimensional with your marketing. Perfect. And one of the things as this podcast goes on, Naomi, what I would love to do is have a chat with you about options pricing and how you figure out whether or not it makes any sense. And I know you do that with uh, with a lot of your customers. And so I think we ought to have that conversation at some point. Yeah, I'd love to. That'd be great. Well, Naomi, we appreciate you taking the time to talk with us. And I hope that you'll continue having these discussions with us here in the future. Yes, absolutely. This has been fun. I appreciate it. All right, Naomi, we'll let you go. Thanks so much. All right, thanks. We'll talk to you guys again soon. Sounds great. Bye. All right, bye. Thank you so much, Naomi, for taking the time to join us. You know, Delaney, it's fascinating. When you talk to folks in this business, all the things you can learn. I had no idea Wisconsin was a tobacco-growing state. I know, I didn't either. It's incredible. So... That is our first podcast. Am I correct in saying that? It was a little rough. We had some audio issues on our end, but you know, we're glad you stuck with us. We're excited to bring you more podcasts. And do you want to tell them what's coming up tomorrow? I would love to tell them. Please tune in tomorrow, Thursday the 16th. We'll be talking to a good friend of mine, the market master in Chicago, the Ted Spread. Ted Seifert will be joining us on the program tomorrow. We'll get Ted's history. We'll get his market outlook as well as we go into the future. So be sure to tune in. And again, where can they find us on Twitter, Delaney? They can find us at 
Ag News Daily. So tweet us your questions, comments. We want to hear what you thought of our podcast. We want to make it better. Yes, good and bad. Constructive criticism is always welcome. And uh, we encourage all of you to tune in tomorrow. We will talk to Ted. We will do the same thing on Friday. And then we will do the same thing next week. Delaney, it almost feels like we got ourselves real jobs. I know. We did. Well, you know, this is our burden. It is. We will bear it with pride. We will. Thanks, everybody.